Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Discussing Film Newscast. We as always have a great episode for you. We have some massive acquisitions happening in the film world. We have some Dune news. We have some J.J. Abrams stuff, the Powerpuff Girls. And I'll, I'll, I'll not hint too much to it, but there's, there's some news for me this week. We, we, we had Muppets the last few episodes. We've got some news for me this week. So listen to find out about that. As always, I am Michael Slaven, one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by Beatrin Shahzad. For our first piece of news today, it was originally suggested that we cover it when it was a rumor by one of our followers, uh, Triple M underscore SW, SW probably staying for Star Wars. Um, they said that we should um, talk about the Amazon MGM acquisition. Um, it was rumored that it was going to be acquired for $9 billion, and they announced that they are going to try and acquire it for $8.4 billion. So if you don't know how like these acquisition works, the studios will announce they, that they've um, come to this agreement, but they just have to wait for the government to look at the deal and sign it off. So that's what they're waiting for at this point, is for mm-hmm. the government to be like, okay, you're not a monopoly, so that's what's happening and Amazon so they're very excited and from what they've said it sounds kind of like they just want it for its IPs and the only IP it really has or has relied on in the last few years is like James Bond yep. maybe Adam's family <laughs> <laughs> I think mainly James Bond though more yes. so than the Adam's family so what are your thoughts about this acquisition? Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. I hate it. Okay. There's also Good the talk. Rocky franchise. Oh. So the Creed movies. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, but with uh, the Amazon. Uh, I think that Amazon don't need more power to control. I'm very aware that this is a film podcast so i don't want to go too deep into my opinions on amazon but i generally think that it is a real worry with amazon going this deep into the film industry and what it means for the future of it as an industry and so this deal acquiring MGM, which is one of, if not the traditional most respected movie studios, with yeah, it's ninety-seven years old. <laughs> yeah, with IPs like Rocky, like James Bond, you know, I just doesn't sit right, and it feels awful. I don't like it. I do not think this is a good piece of news, but it's a big yeah. piece of news. So we got to talk about it. It is a big piece of news. Um, I think, yeah, I think that they, because Amazon has enough power and resources that they could make any movie they want. And the IPs that MGM has, like, aren't substantial enough for them to, like, fight over. They're definitely doing it for, like, the namesake. To be like, we are now an established part of Hollywood. Yeah. Which... It is what it is, I guess. Because I, I do think that people quite often do forget that. Like, when they're talking about the streaming wars, for example, and people being like, oh, but, like, 
Amazon doesn't quite have the pull as these other companies, and it's like, yes, but Amazon could buy all the rest of these companies ten times over. They are one of the biggest conglomerates in the world. I've thought of a positive spin on this. I've done it. I thought of it. MGM produced Invincible movie. Oh. Okay. MGM James Bond crossover. <laughs> Seth Rogen yeah. were getting you that check, baby. What? The first, because I'm not a big fan of the movies MGM has put out recently, mm-hmm. but MGM is like the treasure trove of like golden age classical movies. Like mm-hmm. a lot of classical musicals came out of MGM. So when it got acquired, my first thought was like, oh no, the musicals. But um, I don't think that was, they, they didn't acquire the rights to those. They're mm. still with Warner Brothers. So the classics are safe. I don't think they have the rights to like Wizard of Oz. Yeah, which, or like Ben-Hur or... Yeah, which that makes me feel a little bit better. That yeah, I won't have because... to go to Amazon Prime to watch The Wizard of Oz. Well, no, th- that's the thing though with... This is the, this is actually something that's been discussed a lot in the last week or so on Twitter, if not longer, where it's looking at different streaming services and their back catalogue going past like the 90s and how it's almost non-existent. And I think the sad reality would have been, thankfully, it, if you're saying I'll... Uh, I haven't actually looked into this, but if you're saying I'll believe you... Um, they don't have access to their older films. But Amazon would not probably put that onto Prime. They would probably just kind of keep them in a vault somewhere so that they can uh, release special editions of them or be able to say, oh, we're bringing this on and then delete it a week later. I do not have faith in Amazon as a company to recognize the huge responsibility which comes with taking over a brand that has the legacy of mgm um so yeah yeah because if you want to talk about like physical media Mm -hmm. and the preservation of physical media everyone's worried that since things are going digital we're gonna lose all of that stuff we're gonna lose like yeah physical media and everything's just gonna be you know up basically up to like the whims of the overlords like you won't be able to own like cd of your favorite things and they don't get like remastered as much and then released physically so and that's amazon's whole business plan amazon's whole business plan is everything is online you go to a amazon uh grocery store and you don't have to speak to anyone there's no physical experience it is entirely you uh put everything in your basket you use an app everything is online audible everything is online so in terms of respect to physical media and any rights that amazon will have it's very very worrying yes um i know you mentioned between all the streaming services the the streaming service with the biggest back catalog um is hbo max and that's because HBO Max has the Turner Classic Movie Catalog. The Turner Classic Movie Catalog is owned by Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers, and those are the MG, MGM classics that Warner Brothers has. So that's why MG, that's part of the reason HBO's, like, backup is so big. Mm. But 
Yeah. Speaking of Warner Media, yeah, that brings us to our next acquisition news. Sure. Next acquisition news, AT&T basically announced that like Warner Media is going to like branch off mm-hmm. and merge with Discovery for 43 billion dollars. I think yeah. either they yeah, they're they're merging together and I think to create their own like little company and it's not going to be like Warner, oversighted by Warner AT&T. Discovery, I believe. Well, Yes. I'll I'll look for the exact name whilst you um continue to talk. What do you think of this piece of news? I it makes me a little sad. <laughs> um because I think Discovery is like a nice brand, not like a nice brand, but I feel like they're relatively like good at what they do and the content they produce. And Warner Media um definitely has its ups and downs but i think it's also a fairly strong brand but the fact that like netflix and disney have gotten so big that studios feel that they need to like just to compete they have to merge together and like synergize their brands when there's like not much synergy is like kind of (laughs) sad yeah i've looked up it's warner bros discovery the stuff that dreams are made of and they've released a they've released a logo that is it's it's real bad it's really really bad there's no other way to discuss it other than just saying that it is awful it's boring it's uninventive it would have probably taken like i think that with no assets and just working off memory, I could make this logo on Photoshop in like five, ten minutes. And I'm really dumb. And I'm not great with Photoshop at all. So that's a great sign for the <laughs> It's a great sign for the merging of these two companies and how that's gonna go. I mean forward. what was they gonna do? What are they gonna Because I'm like I'm looking at what they have now. Discovery has like Animal Planet, TLC, and the Discovery Channel. Which are all, like, reality TV channels. TLC is probably, like, trashy reality TV. Animal Planet is, like, a- um, you know, Animal Planet. And then Discovery mm. Channel is, like, I don't know, science TV. And then Warner Brothers is, like, Game of Thrones. Harry Potter. Mm. DC. Like, how do they connect? How is the synergy going to work? I don't know, but apparently it was worth $43 billion. Yep. Um, I that's all I really have to say on it. I think that until we find out more about how it's actually going to work logistically, it's just a weird thing that has happened that we need to acknowledge because it is huge. Uh, but we can't really say too much until we know more in terms of what this actually means. Like, is it Warner Media absorbing Discovery? Is it the opposite, or is it a genuine merger? Um, I think. That what most people are, like, concerned about is that um, there are a lot of people who are not very happy with how Warner Media handles its properties, which, whatever. But um, I think a lot of people, like, blame that on AT&T, and I'm not sure why. So I think that they're hoping that if there's a distance from AT&T, Warner won't suck as much. <laughs> 
I guess. I don't know. Or even if they, like, merge with Discovery, I'm not sure how, like, the fact that they're under the same umbrella as, like, Animal Planet will help with Warner's IPs, but, you know, we'll see what, it, we'll see what happens. Like, this is so bizarre. Imagine, imagine if just, like, the guy um, who's in charge of Animal Planet suddenly becomes in charge of, like, DC Comics, and he's like, yeah, I know how to fix this. I know how to fix your cinematic universe. Speaking of si- fixing a cinematic universe, hey, do you want to hear the next on one? Fire! She is on fire today. So with the next one, uh, Denise Villeneuve's Dune is set to debut at the Venice Film Film Festival, as well as the French Dispatch by Wes Anderson, which is set to premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. Now, whilst the French Dispatch is not surprising, like, Wes Anderson is critics to the extreme. Like, he, they, they are critics' films, um, and they are beloved. Dune, however, debuting at a film festival, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of a bit spicy. It's, uh, it's very exciting, I think. It's really interesting uh, news. I'm going to say one thing that's going to just completely mess up your whole don't make me sad i will joker Mm. debuted at the venice film festival and it won the golden lion there don't say that but that's what happens that's what happened michael like people like joker i didn't like joker but people like joker yeah it did make a billion dollars they say Yes, but I think that if we're looking at this in terms of like, oh, it's like more of like a sci-fi movie, you know, like out of the realm of what we'd usually expect to see premiere at a film festival, like Joker was kind of the same way, and it succeeded, so. I mean, the French Dispatch is following the footsteps of Shrek, which premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, (laughs) so you know. Only, yes. only go. If only it was as good as Shrek. We don't know, but it will not be as good as Shrek. Although, right, I will say now, I will watch any film that covers journalism. So factor in Wes Anderson to that. I'm very excited for the French Dispatch. But I'd say the more interesting of these two is the fact that it's Dune. And whilst I take your point that you can look at it as, oh, this is interesting because I'm more sci-fi mainstream film is debuting at the Venice Film Festival you can also look at it a different way which is that perhaps this hints to the fact that Dune will be more than a regular sci-fi film and that it will potentially be an awards contender and that that's how they're sort of viewing this film Uh, so I find that quite interesting actually and I, it makes me more excited for the film. And even though you're gonna, tr- you're trying to ruin my day, I won't let you. I'm not trying to ruin anything. I'm just simply reminding you of the truth. This film has Dave Bautista, which means we have the potential for Dave Bautista in small glasses, which is the sign of any great film. That's your opinion. I'm sorry to say, but I do not share. Coward. Speaking of Coward? great films. Realistic. Speaking of oh, great no. films, 
J.J. Abrams has been speaking recently about the sequel trilogy. And I think it's important off the bat to say our opinions on the sequel trilogy. I think the first two are really good. I think that the last one is awful. What do you think? I like the first one the best. That's all I can really say. Okay, okay. It's just important to note if before we sort of talk about this piece of news. Because if you think one way, you see this news very differently to if you think another way. Okay, because I will say though, should I, should I, I am read? a J.J. Abrams defender. Okay. Okay, you can read the quote now. Okay. Um, so J.J. Abrams came out and has suggested that the sequel trilogy might have been better with a plan. And this is the quote saying, Having a plan, I learned, in some cases the hard way, is the most critical thing, because otherwise you don't know what you're setting up. I think that whilst I love The Force Awakens, and I love The Last Jedi as an individual film, uh, I think it is noticeable that there was not a plan, because every film almost decided to act entirely by itself and set up its own stuff. And there's a lot of stuff that they just never answered or they answered in very unsatisfactory ways in The Rise of Skywalker. Um, and perhaps if they'd gone with Colin Trevorrow's original script, there are real issues with that story. And a lot of it's very weird. It does, for those who don't know, Colin Trevorrow's script is actually out there. There's a really great video by Mr. Sunday Movies where he sort of recaps the whole thing. But it feels like that was a more natural sequel to what sort of happened. So, yeah. What? So, now I've spoken, I'm going to okay. pass over to Bean. Okay. J.J. Abrams defender here. Right. I will not be defending J.J. Abrams other than saying... Um, okay, I'll be defending him a little bit. Um, so, you like He should have had a plan. Okay, he should have had a plan. It's obvious from the Rise of Skywalker. Like, I, I can look... I Yeah, I can look at The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker together, and I can detail why they made every single poorly made decision that they did based on, like, not only critical reception, but trying to fix the trajectory of the movies. Because it's... And the thing I like about J.J. Abrams is that... He's made a lot of movies I don't like, but he's, I think he does have, a, like, a love for filmmaking, and I do think that he can, like, accept when he's wrong, okay? As he because has here, because he He has wrong. here, yeah. yes, and I think when the movie first came out in an interview, he also talked about something he did wrong, and something he recognizes that's wrong with The Rise of Skywalker. So I feel like people, like, blaming J.J. Abrams for, like, every terrible thing that's happened with Star Wars, but, like, Which well, more than him, though, like, they- yes. I think that it's inherently weird that from the off, the plan was always three different directors for the three different films. And I don't know if it would have been any better if it was three of the same director or if it was J.J. Abrams and then two by Ryan Johnson or whatever. But I think that you're always going to be disjointed from the off when you have three directors who are all so different. Like how if you watch The Force Awakens and then watch The Last Jedi, whilst I love them both individually, it's so clear that both filmmakers saw what Star Wars is and was so differently. 
and so it shouldn't really be a surprise that their stories were then disjointed when sort of shoved together. Um, okay, I'm going to spit my Star Wars analysis here. So, um, News podcast. I'm, s- <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm going to make this quick. Mm-hmm. So the original trilogy, when George Lucas made it, was very clearly going to follow the hero's journey. Even the big, like surprise in the middle of the second movie luke i am your father it's still like narratively as (laughs) spoiler alert um darth vader's luke's father but um narratively like as a thematic thing it very much followed the hero's journey the underdog so he didn't need a plan like sure luke kisses his sister but it's not very impactful when looking at the themes the characters like the world you've built like he always knew where it was going to end I was yes. just saying the original plan was going to be slightly different. It was going to be that she wasn't his sister, I believe. So that's why that happened. Sorry, continue. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that, like, you have that flexibility in that narrative because yes. you know where the story is going to end. You know how a hero's uh, journey story ends. So you have that flexibility. Um, the prequel trilogy, then again, was subversive. It was a corruption arc, but then also, again, you knew where it ended. So you didn't have to make a plan all the way through because you knew where it ended. The problem with the sequel trilogy is that J.J. Abrams went into it thinking, and he created something that was very reminiscent of A New Hope, and then when Brian Johnson came in, he wanted to create something more subversive. So it was too opposite. Like, they both thought it was going to end in a different place, basically. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's important to, like, have a plan for all your movies. But I think it's important for everyone to know how the movie ends. Because when we talk about the MCU, yes, they track every single thing. And I always compare Star Wars to the MCU. I always say, oh, if the sequel trilogy was better planned out for the MCU, it would have been better. But I don't necessarily think that's true anymore. I think that they should have known how the sequel trilogy was going to end from the get-go. And then they should have given the directors the creative license to get to that destination, and they should have had more communication. I think it should have been more of a collaborative effort, because I don't think that you needed you needed a plan, but you needed an idea of the story you were going to tell and how the characters were going to fit into that story. And they were just, like, writing. They weren't, like, storytelling, you know? Yes. Okay. I I agree with a lot of the things you're saying. So from one absolute mess to another. The Powerpuff I'm sorry, JJ. The Powerpuff Girls. We're moving on. We're moving on. The Powerpuff Girls. This is the hard hitting news that you come to discussing film for. So the Powerpuff Girls reboot is having to be redone because the pilot sucks. And the quote is, the reason we do the pilot is sometimes things miss. This was just a miss. We believe in the cast, we believe in Diablo and Heather. In this case, the pilot didn't work. Now, when talking about news, you obviously have to verify sources. And this, it's important to say that this is fairly unverified, but there are things indicating it's true. There was a leak of the script that occurred and when it was removed the reason given was that it was removed for copyright reasons which indicates that it's true but it is important to take this with a pinch of salt and just kind of look at this piece of news and go well maybe generally whatever the script is powerpuff girls 
but they're Riverdale, not a great concept. Um, but did you happen to see the leaked script? I did, Michael. Oh, it's real. It's real bad. It's really, really bad. Okay, I'm gonna ask between the two of us, who watches more of the CW? you i've watched more riverdale but you watch more of the cw i've the fact that i've seen smallville and supernatural alone that's 25 seasons of content i've seen from the cw yes but i do think that the powerpuff girls is going much more for a riverdale vibe than it is oh it definitely was okay first okay yes I have watched Riverdale though, and I've yes. seen Riverdale esque shows. I like I saw, um, Sabrina, like the chaotic yeah. uh, adventures of Sabrina, which was in partnership with the CW and Netflix. So, so, what did you think of the script then? And can you give a brief summary of why it's awful? It's awful because it reads like a late Riverdale script. Like they very much like sexualized the powerpuff girls and it was like campy but just not in like a very funny way so i think that they're going to try and kind of strip it down and just make it less cringe if that makes sense i think that that's what they should do i don't know if that's what they're going to do because they greenlit this in the first place listen if the the reason it's staying is because it has the cast it has. It got like Chloe Bennett and Dove Cameron, so they're not gonna throw and away them. Fason. Yeah. Face on Fason. I don't know. Yeah. So they're not gonna throw away that cast. But no. what I'm worried about is that there's like there are two camps of CW shows. There's the light, funny, campy CW shows, and then there are the dark, gritty CW shows. And then there are the ones that like kind of ride that line. And I would much rather have a lighthearted, campy Powerpuff Girls, even if it's cringe, mm-hmm. than have like a dark Powerpuff Girls. So I'm afraid oh. that they're going to swing too dark in the remake because I would rather have this than whatever is yeah. coming if they're going to do that. Well, it's like with with the bits of the script that were leaked, not only does it feature a lot of words that Bean won't let me say, which mm-hmm. just, it's it's. I I know that the original target demographic of the Powerpuff Girls have since grown up. They're still children's characters. It's still weird. You're saying that like you don't watch Riverdale. Yeah, but I hate Riverdale. Then why do you watch it? Right. This is... Right. I watch Riverdale for a very specific reason, and I've told you this multiple times. Okay, whatever. We don't have to get into this now. No, but also, I'm explaining I could say... now. I, I watch because <sighs> I have to defend myself. I watch Riverdale once every like four to six episodes to try and figure out what's going on. And I use it as the mystery isn't whatever mystery they're trying to solve. The mystery is what is the plot because it goes in such random directions every few episodes. That's why I watch Riverdale. The, what, the part that I was going to talk about was... The fact that not only are they swearing in the Powerpuff Girls, they've taken their father, a character who was loving and sweet and supportive in the original show when he was white, and now he's being played by a black actor 
they have turned him into a abusive sex pest who is a horrible father and i think that if you don't recognize how weird that is i yeah that do some research because that's incredibly weird and i don't like um, it um i think i admit now that i've never seen powerpuff girls i'm but be, you, <laughs> coming for me like this or like oh well have you watched the cw you've not even watched the show we're talking about it, there's not much to gather. That's They're Powerpuff Girls. They're sassies. The Powerpuff Girls. I've seen a scene from the Powerpuff Girls. That's all you need to know. Besides, because the Powerpuff Girls is consistent in what it creates every single time. Meanwhile, the CW has a plethora, a range of what you can expect from it. And people like to single that down into like a single-minded, oh, this is what we can expect from the CW. But no, it's different every time. It's the same kind of bad, but it's a different bad. And if you haven't watched it, you can't understand that. I've suffered in like 25 different flavors based on what TV show I'm watching, just because they're all bad in different ways, but all bad in the same way. That's your fault for watching them then. Why are you blaming me? I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just explaining you. <laughs> Look, I think that generally, if you have to reshoot a full pilot after you've already released promotional photos and after there have been leaked set photos of them in their outfits, I don't think that's a good sign. I think we will. You're right that with the cast and with the amount of like the sunk cost fallacy of how much they've probably committed to this already will get a season of it but i think it's gonna be really really bad and i think that we'll only get one because it's gonna be really really bad you're wrong i know for sure you're wrong do you know why because no matter how bad it is people are gonna watch it and then it's going to get renewed. People said disagree. the same thing about Riverdale. People said the same thing about Riverdale. What season is Riverdale on right now? Riverdale season one's good. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll die on that hill. Riverdale what season is Riverdale on? I believe four. I thought it was more than that. Hasn't it been renewed to six? I mean, it's been renewed, but I, I, I thought you were asking about what it has actually released. You know, I'm just saying. People say the same thing about Riverdale. Every single time about a good TV show Sorry, gets canceled. season five. It's on season five. Yeah. So every single time a bad show, a good show gets canceled, people turn around and be like, Riverdale's still on air? That's because people watch Riverdale. And you know what? A lot of people are going to watch the Powerpuff Girls reboot. I a lot of people will. I, I don't even think it has to be good. You'll, I don't you'll, think I, it's going to be good. I'm not even going to argue because I know time will be on my side. We'll see. We'll see. So, whilst this is sort of bad news, but it's like quite lighthearted, we're actually moving on to slightly less lighthearted news. This is actually really worrying and disturbing. So, Hannah Waddingham, who was a cast member on Game of Thrones, she was the uh, nun who was part of the sort of iconic scene of uh Cersei going through uh, King's Landing and everyone uh chanting shame at her um and she then le later featured in a scene in which Cersei got her revenge and 
Hannah Waddingham's character was waterboarded and sort of tied down. And she came out and said that Game of Thrones actually did that to her. And she was waterboarded for 10 hours during that sequence, saying that other than childbirth, it was the worst day of her life. How how does this happen? Like, how? Yeah, it's straight up unacceptable. It's horrendous. There's not even much to say other than the fact that studios still think that they can get away with this is really gross. And we shouldn't even be having this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other detail which really, really messed me up when I was reading it was uh, she said how after the, the fact she ran into the director who I believe it was like a second unit day or something like that. Um, she ran into the director of the episode who was like, oh, I hear we waterboarded you today. That's wild. So they were like, there was something this huge was happening and they were fully unaware of it or they pretended they weren't away f- uh, aware of it, which is far more insidious. But I think something like this doesn't happen in isolation like it's not one bad thing happens on a show and you hear about that one thing straight away i would be very worried as to other things that have potentially happened on game of thrones if they allowed this to happen like if the apparatus wasn't in place to stop something like this from happening i would be shocked if this is the only time that something awful happened on that show yeah no for sure because the scope of game of thrones was like so big and they and it had was... so many scenes that had to be dealt with such delicacy if they were to be done right. Yeah. I mean, just the amount of, like, sexual assault that, like, scenes that happen. Like, I can promise you that it wasn't probably a good situation for any of the women involved. Especially if, like, they clearly, like, don't care yeah, about the she, comfort of their actors. She also said that that scene could have been worse because the original script was going to have her being violated by the mountain who was the undead knight in that scene blah blah blah. um he was going to force himself on her uh but that was cut because of not because that's a horrendous scene and just awful back to front but it was just that there was a bad reaction to one of those scenes in the previous season um so they cut it but that is just oh like, wow that is just like if that hadn't been cut on top of the 10 hours of wars boarding oh my god no that's like a straight up like that would be a traumatic situation just imagine being mm. literally tortured because at that point you wouldn't be able to really tell like you, what's real yeah, and what's not she said that since that happened she's been in situations with water and she hasn't actually realized until a while after that she has like a fear of water and a claustrophobia around it now um so yeah i think that this should i have the one of the big reasons we've included this is we've reported this at discussing film and it came out in an interview with her but i really don't think this has been reported enough and i really think this is a really big piece of news because it is just horrific and they shouldn't be able to get away with this. Yes, very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So there's with with these kind of news, it's always awkward to sort of move on. So we're just going to move on to the next piece of news. But we do want to sort of um, make aware of these sort of stories where people are being mistreated because it is really important. But moving on to the next piece of news, um, Quiet Place Two came out this week, and it's done really, really surprisingly well with such a sort of stilted release i really wasn't expecting it to do well at all to the point where i remember just pre-lockdown starting in the uk there were screenings for a quiet place too so it was that close to release just the pandemic hit and they've timed it really well with when they're releasing it and it made 57 million in a four-day domestic box office opening weekend which is obviously for pre um pandemic numbers it's not very high but is the absolute highest during the pandemic and it's a really astounding number i think what do you what do you make of that uh movie theaters are coming back baby you see a lot on like social media people are like oh i'm going to my movie theater there's like people here there's a line at the movie theater i'm going back to the movie theater this week at some point i don't know yet for what but i'm going back for the first time since tenet i think yeah I haven't been to a movie theater since I watched Onward. <laughs> mm, I lie. Uh, I saw, I think I saw Soul. I saw Soul. I, I saw Soul after Tenet because I remember wearing a mask to watch Soul. Um, but yeah, it was that was the last film that I watched and that was, that was pre-December. So it wasn't, um, yeah, that was a while ago. It's really exciting. Yes, because I like where I live in California, um, throughout this entire pandemic, movie theaters were only open one week before they released. Um, they opened because you know how Regal closed down mm-hmm. and Regal was like, oh, I'm not opening until theaters in L.A. open again. So um, until the Regal movie theaters decided to open back up, that's when everything else in California decided to open back up. Yeah, movie theaters were only open for one week. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even have the option of going at all. And I don't know when I'm going to go again, but I am fully vaccinated. and I'm very excited. I want to walk down that aisle again. I just want I'm what so you excited. Have. I just want what you have. I just want one vaccine. One vaccine would be nice. Just one, one jab. Alas, that's yes. not film news, so it's irrelevant, useless. Quiet Place has made a lot of money. Good good for John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Good for them. Mr. and Mrs. Fantastic? Don't. <laughs> mm. No, that's a joke, because I'm, Mr. I'm Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four. This is a formal news announcement. I'm playing Reed Richards. Okay. Anyways... Talking about other Marvel casting news besides me. We have Spumpkin News. Reed Richards. Yes. Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson is going to be in the Craven the Hunter movie that will release January 13th, 2023. That's not a real date. I don't believe that. That's not a real date. Well, get over yourself. Um, Yeah. I didn't even know they were making a Craven the Hunter movie. I didn't know that there's going to be a Sinister Six Severse. Uh, well, yeah, they're they're doing. They're doing this character. There have been hints this week where they've spoken about how the spunk. Wait, we should explain who Craven the Hunter is first. 
<laughs> I think. Spider-Man villain. He's a spider. Yes. <laughs> who hunts people? He's he's does what he says on the tin. Um, but yeah, they've they've given some hints this week to there being more crossovers between the MCU and the Sony. The Sony universe, the the Venom, the Venom verse, the Morbius, Mobius boy, Morbius and his boys. Um, they've hinted to the fact that even in No Way Home, there are going to be some links to that. There's obviously Morbius, which has Michael Keaton's Vulture in it. Uh, there's been nothing said yet as to how this will cross over, but maybe we'll get to see Aaron Taylor Johnson back in the MCU. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Because I they mean, have shown, they've shown with Gemma Chan that they just don't really. If a person's a good enough actor, they don't really care about just recasting them. Yeah, I mean, I'm be honest, never a big fan of Criminal Hunter. I'm not excited about this at all. But well, I think yeah. it's pretty neat. I mean, I feel like if they announced this five years ago, people would be like, T- him. As Cream the Hunter, but then after Tenet came out, everyone's like, "Yeah, this is a great choice." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a real kick-ass fan, so I will always go to bat for Aaron Taylor Johnson because I think that those movies are great, and he is like a core part in that. Yeah, I'm just saying, like physically, he changed a lot. Like he looks very different. Oh than yeah, he yeah, looks. yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, I they they spoke. They apparently offered the role to Keanu Reeves, which I find it interesting that, like, age-wise, it clearly was quite flexible because Keanu Reeves, Aaron Taylor Johnson, bit of a disparity there in age. But uh, I find Aaron Taylor Johnson a more interesting casting for the role anyway. So, I mean, I honestly, I think that people in Hollywood just make exceptions for Keanu Reeves. This is true. I feel like they just ignore his age because I feel like John Wick should have just been played by someone younger. Like his age isn't important to that. Or maybe. Yeah. Or when he was considered for he was considered for Doctor Strange, right? So he was considered. I think it was between yeah. it was between him, Joaquin Phoenix and Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, he's older than the rest of them, so I'm saying that they like, even though he's on the older side, I think that Yeah, yeah, like, I see your point, I see your point. Yeah. Um, so, from one Marvel character to another, Denai Garat, uh has been reported by The Hollywood Reporter to be returning as a Koye in an origin spin-off series for Disney+. Plus. Look. Pe- people always joke about like, oh, whenever I'm out, the MCU drags me in. I'm a real shill, so I'm like, I'm always all in. But, like, can you get me more in than a Dora Milaje movie? Or Dora Milaje series, sorry. That is so cool. Please do that. That's such a cool idea. I think it's going to be even better because it's going to be an origin movie. So it's going to be taking place, like, solely within, like, Wakanda or, like, Wakanda before it got more involved with the MCU. So I think that that's just something we need to see. Wakandan because society. as cool as the MCU is, yes, Wakandan society, like, the... before they, you know, did their thing. I, I was... Before the events of Black Panther. I was listening to someone speak earlier this week about world building and how when people think of world building, they think of Lord of the Rings, they think of, like, maps 
and places but how culture and like small details are such a unappreciated part of world building and i think the world building of black panther is genuinely masterful like all the visual cues between the different tribes the small traditions that they have that are deeply rooted in african culture i think that wakanda is a society that the mcu if they're smart will do a lot more to explore and i think that this is one of the coolest ways they can do that as with anything you do have to give it the caveat of how do they approach a potential Dormelage spin-off without Chadwick Boseman but I'm sure that they have sort of discussed that at length and all the murmurs seem to be that they're being fairly respectful with them not using any CGI for Black Panther 2 or recasting him but yeah, that's just something to keep in mind, I think, I guess. But I honestly exciting. don't think it would be terribly hard to have an origin without the King of Wakanda in it. I feel but, like TV shows do that all the time. Like, TV shows do that all the time, not even because he's passed away, but just because it's such a big actor, they can't afford to bring them in. Yeah. So I they su- just write around it. I suppose they could also just sort of do... Um, they they could just have his father who played T'Chaka because time-wise that would probably line up more and just have like a T'Challa's on a mission. So um, true. So, on to the next piece oh of no. news. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So, as we discussed last week, Bean's got to talk about the Muppets for ages and now it's my turn. My Muppets is sports because for people who know me as well as being a big film fan i'm a big sports fan and a big football fan within that and there's sports news this week bean sports okay have your moment go have it i'm here i'm waiting you you always ask me about the muppets like what what's your opinions on football do you know do you know much like do you know much about no this piece explain of it news? explain it to me and i'll form an opinion while you're speaking I'd like to clarify that she asked me to explain, so I'm not mansplaining football to her. I'd like to make that very clear. <laughs> so, it's exciting. <sighs> Go. So, uh, producer Adrian Butchart came out and did an interview. Well, he didn't quite do an interview. He's spoken to the Mirror quite clearly, and so the Mirror got an exclusive where they released the news that Robert Patterson, Zac Efron, and Louis Tomlinson were set to play Premier League striker Jamie Vardy in a biopic. So this biopic has been spoken about for ages because the dude's just interesting. Like, he's very weird, he's very funny, and his story is like... It's the kind of thing that if you wrote into a generic sports story, you'd call it unrealistic and, like, cheesy. But he... So he was released from like uh, academies at 16 and then worked his way up from playing in non-league for £100 a week uh, where he was working part-time in a factory building splints uh, for prosthetic legs. Um, He then worked his way up from there and then at like 25, I believe it was, he 
moved to Leicester. Leicester then got promoted and went through this like fairy tale story of coming like 18th in the league one season and then winning the league the next season with Jamie Vardy as their like talismanic striker. He went on to play for England. It's an amazing story. I this is really exciting. Have I sold the story? Have I sold the tale of Jamie Vardy to you? Honestly, as someone who's not into sports, it sounds like every other sports movie. But that's the thing. It's a true story. It is true. I've also seen Disney Channel original movies that are sports movies that are true stories and that are just as interesting. But you like those. I do like those. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying it sounds the same as everything else. Which, that's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. I'll probably watch it, though. I'll force you to. Is that a microaggression? Vote now on your phones. No, it's a macroaggression. <laughs> no, misogyny at work. <laughs> no, stop it, stop it, stop it. Jamie Vardy biopic is really exciting because, again, there's just... There are a bunch of like mini stories of the fact that whilst a Premier League footballer, his like pre-match ritual was like he'd re- eat really unhealthy food and like down Red Bull before a match and stuff like that. And there are just tons of like little details. And look, it can go one of two ways. If they cast Robert Patterson, he has the look for Jamie Vardy. He could quite easily play him. That's really exciting. Zach Efron, great actor. Doesn't quite have the look, doesn't quite have the accent, but like, you know, great actor. And I'm not going to say anything about Louis Tomlinson as an actor because One Direction fans scare me. I mean, you've never seen him act in anything. Exactly. So he could be really good. He could be. He could be. He could be. Um, They're good friends. Louis Tomlinson and Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy. I think Louis Tomlinson. Oh, that's probably that's probably really good. Like yeah. I could act like you probably. In a biopic of your movie. You, sure. Yeah, it's all about like the amount of time we spend together. I know well, you're like little. He he sung at Jamie Vardy's wedding, and that was his first time ever performing as a solo artist um, after One Direction. How do you know this? I know things. You don't know when Zayn left One Direction. This is true. Uh, but I know this thing because it's related to a sports thing. I guess. <laughs> Sounds like you're obsessed with this guy. I'm very well, happy Jamie for Vardy. you that you're getting... Yes, I am. Yes. yes. If that wasn't obvious. So from one piece of news that I'm obsessed with to the next, we have more The Last of Us news. Heyo! Are you excited? Every single time you ask, and every single time I'm like, yeah, sure. Look, I've spent the last week writing an essay about The Last of Us for university, so I've been thinking about this for hours on end. So you give me a piece of The Last of Us news, and I'm going to go feral. And this... Are you going to talk about this for hours on end? No. Okay. Proceed. So Merle Dandridge, the voice actor and general actor for Marlene in HBO's The Last of Us, is reprising her role for the HBO series, which is interesting 
because up until this point, they didn't cast Ashley Johnson as Ellie because she's too old. They didn't cast Nolan North as Joel, which, you know, would have worked, but maybe a bit old, who knows, but, like, they didn't cast him. Um, They haven't cast the actor for Tommy as Tommy, but they've cast Marlene as Marlene. So I think it's really interesting that, like, a video game actor is getting this chance to act in such a huge series. I think it's really cool that they're, like, staying respectful to the original game. Very nice. Yeah, it's cool. You don't seem excited. I'm sad now. I'm smiling. You know you can it's hear people's smiles over down. the phone? <laughs> yeah, you can hear people's smiles over the phone. Why'd you come at me for that? What the heck? Because you just responded with, I'm smiling, and it's a podcast. Yes, you can pee. You hear what people smile when they speak over the phone. That's like the first rule. Can't you hear me smiling right now, Michael? I'm smiling because of the last Only because you're doing your customer service voice. That's not even my customer service voice. You, you want to hear? Close. You want to hear my customer? No, service? please don't. That's I don't close. Want, uh, I don't want to hear you. I've heard it. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, last piece of information. Remember when Citizen Kane? They found a review, a bad review of Citizen Kane yes. on Rotten, and then they entered it into I'm Rotten furious. Tomatoes. And then literally, like seventy-five mo- years after the movie came out, they had to like lower Citizen Kane's 100% Rotten Tomatoes rating. And then everyone was like, oh my god. This doesn't mean Citizen Kane is the highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes anymore. Do you know what it is? It's Paddington 2. Well, Paddington 2. Yes. Paddington 2 just got Citizen Kane'd. (laughs) So they're both in the same boat now. More like Citizen Kane. Yep. They unearthed a review. A negative review, and now it's at 99. So now Toy Story 2 is the highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes. I hope you're happy, Citizen Kane. You couldn't let the nice bear just get a win. I mean, I don't think Mr. Citizen Kane himself wrote the review. I think that it's Mank's fault. I don't know how, I don't know why, but it feels like Manx's fault. It's got Gary Oldman's grubby little fingers all over it. Oh my god. I just want to say, Toy Story 2 is a good movie, so I'm glad it's something like Toy Story 2. Yeah. It's not like it it fell down to Joker, you know? Yeah, so... Which, if anyone asks, we love Joker. It's don't take this episode otherwise. Yeah, disregard the first half of this podcast. Just listen to what we're saying now. Mhm. Mhm. But I am furious. I feel a white hot fury for the disrespect found towards Paddington Two. Uh, I will find this reviewer. I'm gonna leave it. No, 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 no. Paddington would not want this. He would not want you to resort to violence. I I didn't say what I was gonna. I didn't say I was gonna be violent. I'm gonna give him the. Were Paddington you gonna be violent, stare, Michael? The Paddington stare. I'm Paddington staring at you over the phone. Podcast. You can hear that in my voice too, right? Podcast. <laughs> you okay. can't give away the fact. People, what do you mean over the phone? You can't. This is in person. <laughs> Don't give it away. Oh my God! You're talking about the fact that we're in different countries. We're also 
in the same place? Metaphorically speaking. Sure. <laughs> what? This podcast is devolving episode by episode. <laughs> and I'm here for it, honestly. You know what? That's up for our viewers to decide. Vote now on your phones. Where are they voting? I'll put the poll I'll put the poll on the Twitter page. So now you can give Michael's about to do our outro, but and he's gonna say what our Twitter page is. But I'm gonna put these polls on the Twitter page. I'm gonna leave them up for like the maximum amount of allotted time. And you can go and vote if what Michael said to me about forcing me to watch a football movie or actually no, Frick Michael, a soccer movie. If forcing oh. me to watch a soccer movie is a microaggression. I'm gonna edit that. I'm gonna. I'm editing <laughs> this one, so I'm editing that out. No, and it I was told funny. You, I told you it wasn't a microaggression. It was a macroaggression. <laughs> let me. Let me. No, you have to keep it in. I'm gonna keep it in. You're fine. This is all going okay. in. It's all because it's less work for me. <laughs> Anyways, so you get to vote about the microaggression versus the macroaggression, and then you get to vote about what was the question? <laughs> it was about us. Oh, if you like, if you like the fact that our attitudes are devolving, not devolving, we're getting more chaotic. Um, is this how you like your movie news? Because this is how we will deliver it to you. Namaste, God bless. Because we could do that. I could do my customer service voice. I know that Please, Michael can no, pull it together. But no, is that what you want? Don't do your customer service voice. Vote now on your phones. Voice. Don't do your customer service voice, please. So here's the outro. We're doing the outro now. The podcast's finished. Go home. What are you still doing here? Oh, you want some. You want some socials? I'm going to give you some socials. So I'm at MichaelSlaver98 on Twitter. Uh, Bean, would you like to give your at on Twitter? Change it up for uh, for for once? It's BeaBean. B-E-Y-A Bean. Uh, you should also follow at DiscussingFilm for all of the best film, TV, video game news, musicals if Bean steals the account details. Uh as well as that, there are going to be loads of articles coming soon, including some on some of the topics that we've sort of discussed and continue to discuss every episode. And make sure, above all, to follow at DF Newscast on Twitter, to follow us on Spotify, to rate us on iTunes, to something on YouTube. Subscribe, subscribe on YouTube, like on YouTube, all of that generic YouTuber insert smash the like button thing <laughs> nice we out